Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, in these here United States, we take our law and order seriously. Take it very seriously. Um, One of the pillars of American history, law and order. We haven't played my favorite game and yours for quite a few weeks. And I'm going to give you another gimme. You guys got to get this one. This is your civics test too today. Uh, We'll we'll ask for who the American history law and order man is. Who dis? Teddy Roosevelt, right? Give you a gimme every once in a while, right? So Teddy Roosevelt, buck stops here kind of guy. He he had a lot of good sound bites, and he said this about our law and order. He said, "No man is above the law, and no man is below it. Nor do we ask any man's permission when we ask him to obey it." Teddy had a way with words. We don't ask your permission. We don't ask your opinion. We just expect you to obey the law. Now. Okay, so I want to talk about law for a second, for a few minutes, and then we're going to get into um, what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, So we have what is called uh, a federal law code. So how many um, laws do you think uh, the U.S. has in its U.S. legal code? Too many, many, right? I'm going to give you a couple hints. Federal law was first codified in 1926. There's your civics lesson for this morning. And, and when it came out, and now we were just writing it down, everything that already existed, we said we're going to compile it together, fit in one volume. Uh, by 1980, by the 80s, there were 50 volumes, um, 23,000 pages. And on average, Congress approves about 125 federal laws every year. So we kept getting added and added and added. So, okay, what's your guess for the number? And not too many, but guess how many are on our federal books right now? 100,000? Million? According to several sources, and I actually spent some time looking at this, we don't know. We, I don't know if we can't count that high or if we just can't, don't have them all compiled. So no one really knows, according to, again, multiple sources. And you might think that's crazy, but what's even crazier are the laws that we have in existence. Instead of going to the federal government, I thought we'd go to the state government. I want to show you some laws that are on our books today as they exist. Number one, crazy law. It's illegal to serve margarine in Wisconsin. It is. Uh, Wisconsin Statute 98.17. Now, you can do it in your private home, but you can't do it in a restaurant or a school or a prison or anything like that. So um, from 1925 to 1967, the sale of margarine was illegal in Wisconsin. You got, you've heard about these oleo runs? People go to Illinois because, you know, one sure way to get people to do something is to tell them that they can't do it or to prohibit it. And so then they'll, then they'll go do it. But this law has been in place since 1895. It still stands today. Illegal for restaurants to serve margin unless the customer specifically orders it. That's what it says. Um, Governor uh, Warren Knowles, you guys, kind of our founder, he said that margin was the yellow stick from Satan himself. We take it seriously here, right? No man's above the law, right? A big reason. Like I said, no hospitals, prisons, schools to this day, right? Okay, so that's number one. Number two. It's illegal in Wisconsin to not give livestock the right of way. So Wisconsin Statute 346.21 says that you must move over. See what I did there? Next crazy one. And I don't get this one. Businesses may only base their hours on central time. You know, I say for every warning label, there's a great backstory. What's the backstory on this one? I mean, what were we trying to do here? So somebody go check Mel's flower shop and make sure that, you know, Andy, are you posting your hours on Central Time, right? 
Because statute 175.09 says must be based on on central time. Crazy stuff, but it's in our books. Now, I saved the best for last. And before we put it up there, some of my friends said, if you put this up there, you're going to freak some people out. And I said, isn't that my job to freak people out? So here it is. Number four, adultery in Wisconsin is a class one felony. Statue, Wisconsin Statue 944.16, put into law in 1849. We, came, we became a state in 1848. So one year later, we put this on the books, and it is still there. Class 1 means that it's a $10,000 fine and or three years in prison. So there's some crazy laws out there. Okay, so this one we probably get. But the oleo, the margin stuff, eh, I don't know about that one. So, all right, there's a lot of laws, and like I said, federal law is so um, complex that not everybody knows every law that's in place, and sometimes we don't even know if we're breaking the law or not. So this guy wrote a book. His name is Harvey Silvergate. It's right here. It's called Three Felonies a Day. He says in his book that so, there's so many laws, that, and that we don't know about them, that we unwittingly commit at least three felonies every day by supper time. So that's what it is, and that's kind of how it really goes when you think about it. So, fellow felons, right? With that as a backdrop of our everyday lives and in the, in the world that we walk into, why do people get so upset with the idea that God gave us Ten Commandments? And actually, if you look at it in Exodus 34, I should have put this verse up here for you, but in Exodus 34, God refers them to them as ten words. He doesn't say ten commandments. He says, follow these ten words. Ironically, though, I found out that not a lot of people know the Ten Commandments. It's part of what we do in confirmation class, but by the time they get confirmed, all that stuff just falls out of their head. I don't know about that. But. So I thought we would run over a couple of these commandments. We've done this a couple of years ago, but I want to run through the first five or six with you uh, this morning and teach them to you in a fun way. By the way, just a quick little disclaimer. If you do some research on this, which I'm sure you're going to do this afternoon, if you do some research on this, there's actually two lists of Ten Commandments. Um, in Exodus 34, God specifically says Ten Commandments, but there's, it looks like there's more than ten things listed. So we've compiled a couple of them together so that they make ten, and it makes a whole lot of sense. But I'm going to show you um, the original version or the one that we, we've had for the longest. Okay, so commandment number one. Everybody hold up one finger. Point to your eye and say, I am the Lord your God. And now you've got to wag your finger. Katie, wag your finger at me. Wag your finger and you say, you shall have no idols. Okay, that's number one. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no idols. Number two, take your pulse right here. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. See what I did there? There's a little vein right there. Maybe it's a capillary. I don't know what it is. But anyway, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Okay? Number three, you've got to hold up three fingers like this and make kind of the okay sign. You've got to look through it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. See, there's a hole right there. I'll make it a hole. Keep it holy. Come on, Isaac, you're, gonna, you're loving this. Come on, don't, don't be shy, man. All right, number four. Number four, this is the one that's uh, this is audience participation, definitely in this one. Uh, number four is honor your mother and father. And the way we do that is we say, number four, honor your mother and father. But you can't salute sitting down. Where are my army brethren here? Oh, they're all they're our ushering. Okay, so everybody, oh, there's one. Okay, so stand up. Your left hand, you have to make a fist and put your thumb on the outside of your fist and put it down close to your leg. Heels together. If they click, you get bonus points. And then salute, honor your mother and father. There's not bad salutes going on here. Lisa, can we salute once? There it is. Okay, honor your mother and father. If you don't think you're going to get called out, you're going to get called out. All right, sit back down. Number five, 
Remember the old um, uh, gladiator movies? Thumbs up, they live. Thumbs down, they died. So number five is thou shalt not kill. So that's number five, thou shalt not kill. Now the big one that I want to get to today, and I'm getting emotional already, but I'm going to try to power through this. Number six. Number six is do not commit adultery. And we point to our heart. Because adultery (laughs) is a crime of the heart. That's what God tells us. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The adultery, the focusing on the heart. So everybody do it with me, even though I'm breaking up. Number six. Say it. Number six. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, good. All right. So we're going to move on from there. We'll we'll do the other ones later, later on. Okay, so all right. Now, the question that I have for you this morning is, why do we have such a hard time obeying those? Why do we have so much, uh, such a hard time living into those? When we have uh, you know, a, a code of, of federal laws that we, that we don't even know all of them. We've got these crazy laws in Wisconsin, but God's laws actually make sense for our everyday lives. So why do we have a hard time with it? I submit to you this because every person, inside every person, there's a, a rebellious spirit or a spirit of rebellion. Um, a notion where we're just going to kind of you know, fold our arms and, and look and, and we're going to um, hold our breath, say that you can't make me or you can't keep me from doing this. All started back in Genesis 3 when the serpent said to Eve, I don't listen to that guy. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. You can do what you want, where you want, when you want, however you want. You can do it. Burger King says, have it your way. And that's kind of how we say our whole life is going to be. It's going to be my way, right? That's how we're going to do this. And we, we, we need a rule of law. Like Roosevelt said, we need a rule of law. And we don't ask permission. We don't ask opinions. We just expect you to obey it. That's what God says. I'm not asking your opinion. I'm not asking you for your permission. I'm just expecting you to obey these things. Without a rule of law that pertains to everyone, our homes, our community, our country, our world would plunge into absolute chaos. So what our conscience so we need a standard of justice. We need a standard of justice uh, pointing to truth. So God tells us from the very beginning to worship him and to worship him alone. That our worship should be focused on him and not anything else. Don't substitute anything else for God. Number one, you shall have no idols. My brother Jeff Shulo back there last week did an amazing job. And in his, in his talk, he told you that the Bible mentions the word marriage many times, Right? Well, what gets mentioned a little bit more than marriage is adultery or some form of that word. That's what God says we become whenever we put um, something else in his place. When we put something before him, we become adulterers. Because, like I said, adultery is a crime and a sin of the heart. And I want you to think about that a little further. Think about what Jesus said about adultery. He said, if you even think about it, You've committed it. Now, we put that in an earthly sense, but God says, how about we put that in a spiritual sense? How about we put that in our relationship with you and with me? Right? Jeff said, talked about how, how we are the bride of Christ. Right? The, the church is the bride of Christ. Well, when we start looking at other places and we start putting our heart and investing in other things, we become adulterers. And there's a spot in the Bible that talks about this, talks about idols, and you know, um, and I say this all the time, and I really, and the reason I talk about it a lot, a lot is because I'm trying to get our minds to look and think and feel different, right? Especially when we're reading the Bible. A lot of times we read the Bible, and, and it's, a, it's a two-dimensional thing, right? We have these flat words on, the, on this flat paper, and, and they don't have any life to them. They don't have any spirit to them. They don't have any substance to them. 
there are times in the Bible that, that God actually, it's almost like satire in a couple places. I'm going to show you a spot in Isaiah 44 that I think Mark Twain could have almost written this. It's so outrageous and so ridiculous that when we read it, it should make us chuckle. It should make us laugh and it should make us really uncomfortable because that's what satire does. Satire, God says, I want you to look at yourself in this and I want you to be uncomfortable about it. I want you to look at this ridiculous situation and realize I'm talking right to you and I'm putting this right in your face. So before we get to the, the spot in Isaiah 44, because we could really go through the whole thing. Um, and I know I throw a lot at you guys, but this afternoon, seriously, if you've, you probably haven't read Isaiah 44, because it's in a part of the Bible that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. We talk about Isaiah at Christmas time, talk about it at Easter, and we talk about it a couple other times, but we don't really dig into Isaiah. Take a good, strong, solid look at Isaiah 44 and let the words speak to you. Don't say, okay, and I got this checklist to take off. I got this task I got to complete, so I'm just going to plow through this, and then we're going to go sledding because it's going to be a beautiful day. No, take it, take it a word at a time. So Isaiah 44 starts like this. I don't have a slide for this, but it says, like, uh, it says, Now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. Verse 2 says, The Lord who made you and helps you says, do not be afraid. So that's where he's coming from. That's where he starts. He says, the Lord who created you, the one that helps you, who's our helper? God is our helper. He says, says, don't be afraid. And then he goes on to talk about why you shouldn't be afraid. And then in verse 6 it says this. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies, says this. He says, I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. There is no other God. And then there's a period after that. There is no other God. And then he says, and then, like I said, it's almost, it's almost satire coming at you. He says, who's like me? You got something else in mind? He said, well, why don't you let him step forward and prove to you his power? Right? I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you out of slavery. I'm the God that authored your salvation. I'm the God that created the heavens and the earth. What do you got? Where else are we going to put our our trust? Where else are we going to put our faith? And then this, verse 9. This is what really blew my mind when I read it like this. New Living Translation, by the way. It says, How foolish are those who manufacture idols. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. And now right there, when I read that, and we we listened to that, with those flat words on that flat page, it's not three-dimensional. We think about somebody else. But when we started thinking it, thinking about it in 3D, three-dimensional, all of a sudden we think, wait a second. Am I one of those that manufacture idols? These prized objects, these prized objects, anybody got a prized object in there? These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they will be put to shame. But what a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit. Then he goes on, he talks about craftsmen a little bit. He talks about the blacksmith, how the blacksmith makes things. And then he talks about a woodcarver, and that's what I want you to see here today. And again, I don't want you to, to project this onto somebody else. I want you to own this. I want you to bring this, and I want God to make you uncomfortable enough to actually deal with this and actually realize that this, he's talking to you, he's talking to us. He's not talking to some foreign people in some other time in some other land. No, he's talking to you right here, right now, today. So he's talking about a woodcarver. Verse 14 says, He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. 
With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and he makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. Then he backs up again. He says, he burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. We've been there. Then, verse 17, he takes what's left and he makes his god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Like I said, Mark Twain could write this. We look at this and we say, this is ridiculous. But how do we fit into that? How many times have we done something very similar? Okay, so we don't take a knife when we don't have something, a Buddha sitting in the middle of our living room. But man, we've got some idols going on in our heads and in our lives, things that we rely on, things that we focus on. Because this wood started out as something good, something helpful, something, something useful, but it turned into something, something dangerous, something hazardous, something, something completely useless. And Jesus talks about that time and 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 time again. He's approached, we read in the gospel, he's approached by the, we call him the rich young ruler. Right? That's in three of the Gospels we kind of compile that story together. And we've done that before. And just you know, as a disclaimer, I'm not going to break that down because we've done that before and we've talked about that before, what this guy needed to give up. And that we, but I don't want to go in that. I want to focus a different way. I want you to think about that exchange there between this, this man and, and Jesus. He comes up with a legit question, comes to the Savior. He knows who to ask. He knows what to ask. But he's hoping for a different answer. So he comes up to Jesus and said, what should I do? What, do I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus snaps out some commandments. Now when we think about the Ten Commandments, we look at them um, academically, we look at them in two different tables. The first table is about our relationship with God. The second table is about our relationship with each other. So the first three in the first table are relationship with God. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no idols. Right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Then it changes on your mother and father and talks about our relationship with other people. So when Jesus names these commandments, he's naming the second table. He says things like, he says, um, things like uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't be a false witness, you know, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your mother and father. So what does he leave out? He leaves out no other gods, no idols, Sabbath day, Lord's name, he actually leaves out coveting, too, which actually belongs on the second table. But we'll get to that in a second. I used to, I, when, I, when, I, when I broke this down you know, years ago, I thought you know, that, that the rich young ruler is, is, is guilty of coveting. I thought that's his sin, that he's coveting, and he is. But it's only, that's a manifestation of, of his idolatry, of, of his looking for idols in his life. And the way it came out in his life was his stuff. So when Jesus said, get rid of your stuff, that stuff that's coming between you and me, get rid of that, and then come and follow me. And that rich young ruler left, right? He went away um, sad. By the way, that's the only time in the Bible that anyone had an encounter with Jesus and walked away sad. Even the demons, you know, had a different emotion than that. They knew their job, and they got in there to it, and they did it. But like I said, the stuff, his stuff is only a manifestation. And, and sometimes that looks different, you know. Um, idolatry in the Old Testament was often blatant and, and obvious. And, now, and remember now, this rich young ruler coming to Jesus, this, listen to me, is Old Testament time. Right? I, know, I know Jesus is standing on the earth, and I know this is in the New Testament, but the New Testament doesn't start until Jesus lifts up the cup and says, this is the New Testament. 
So everybody talking to Jesus, everybody coming to Jesus is a Jew, Old Testament. So he comes to Jesus, and so Jesus doesn't say to him, take down your idols, because the dude would be like, I, I don't have any idols. I'm not, I'm not worshiping. I'm worshiping the God in heaven. I'm not worshiping some golden calf like we have in the past, some idol of gold, some stone, wood, whatever. But in the New Testament, idolatry takes, it takes a different form. It's more subtle. It's more refined, more sophisticated. And while we might not worship idols, like I said, nobody's got a Buddha standing in their living room, probably. Idolatry is, in, is, a, really, uh, is a very real um, danger in our generation, in our lives, in our world. Isaiah 44, you know, we can't say he has made a physical image, but for this rich young ruler, his, his wealth has become his idol. God said, you shall have no other gods. There is no other God. I am the first and the last. This is verse 6. There is no other God. Anything or anyone that takes a a prominent position in your life or a preeminent position in your life becomes your idol. And that's a hard one to take. Jesus said, or I'm sorry, Peter said to Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. We gave up everything. We're not, we're not following anything else. We're not putting anything. We're following you. And I asked God at the beginning to make us uncomfortable. Luther talked about idols extensively. Anyway, Luther says an idol can be identified by a sentence like this, if I lose something, I don't want to go on. If I lose that item, that, that object, then I don't want to go on. To the rich young ruler, that was his stuff. He thought, if I lose my stuff, I don't want to go on. But like I said, that's a, it's hard to take that sentence, that idea. And it's, it's especially hard when we lose a loved one. Because then sometimes we, we don't want to go on. But if we look back in Isaiah 44, like we were talking about that, that wood, right? It, it, it's, it's good for, for a purpose, and it has a purpose in our lives. But we can't make it something it isn't. Whatever that is in our life, we can't make it something that it isn't. God says, I am the one who made you. I am the one who helps you. Stop looking at earthly objects to be the one that helps us. God throws it in your face. And he says, you got something better? Well, bring it out. Let's see what you got. I am the one that created you. I am the one that made the heavens and the earth. What else are you looking for? Sometimes we're fighting tooth and nail for something, someone, some cause. Jesus says, you need to rethink your motives. That rich young ruler, like I said, after Jesus challenged him, went away sad. Let's let's just not do that. i got to give up something. I'm not going to go away sad, and I'm not going to leave you. Like the disciples said, where else are we going to go? But that's exactly what happens when we open our hearts to something else. When we open our hearts to something else and we become those adulterers that God talks about and God says, this is not going to turn out well for you. 
When we don't literally open our hearts to give our hearts to Jesus, to put Him first in our lives, to trust Him to handle all the problems that the earth is going to throw at us, we ourselves then become those idol factories. We become the manufacturer of our own idols. Maybe we don't take a knife and a chisel and a hammer and we carve it out. Maybe it doesn't look like that, but it's going to look like something else and it's going to steal your heart because adultery is a crime and a sin of the heart. And God says, if you're giving your heart to somebody else and you're not giving it to me, that definition, by definition, is adultery. And if the state of Wisconsin takes it that seriously, how do you think God takes it? We ourselves become our own idol factories in our own lives, creating things, creating ideas, following causes, making ideas, causes, and people making those the object of our time, our effort, and our worship. And again, Luther is quick to point out that that Satan is behind every idol in life. Satan is behind every idol in life. God created you to have a relationship with him. Satan says, if I can just get you to worship anything, I don't care what it is, he says, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter, just something, anything else. I'm going to make it look shiny, and I'm going to make it look new, and I'm going to just, think about that. You know, think about the, he'll, he'll promise you anything, he'll promise you everything. Look what he said to Jesus. He said, all of these kingdoms I will give you. And then parenthetically, doesn't God want that for you? Doesn't God want you to be successful? Doesn't, doesn't this look good, right? Doesn't this the way it should go? Luther writes, No matter how abominable the practice, the devil always persuades his dupes that they are serving God and doing his will, doing God's will. Luther had a way with words. I'm going to say that I should have this up on the board for you. No matter how abominable the practice... the devil always persuades his dupes that they are serving God and doing his will. So I'm asking you this morning, and I'm challenging you to, to seek God. To seek God and ask him, listen to me now, ask him to reveal the idols that you have manufactured in your life. Ask him to reveal the idols that you have manufactured in your life. Remember that book title I showed you, Three Felonies? That we've all committed three felonies by supper time? I guarantee by supper time you have worshipped three different idols in your life, and a lot of them we're not even aware of. And we're not going to be aware of them until God reveals them to us and says, this is where you're putting your heart. This is where you're putting your trust. This is where you're putting your faith. This is what makes you an adulterer, which is a sin and a crime of the heart. When people are devoted to an idol, they're looking elsewhere for satisfaction. People who are devoted to an idol say things like this. They say, if, if, I, if only I could, and then fill in the blank, um, then I would be satisfied. And if that, and the, that blank is anything but our relationship with God, that makes us an idoler. Right? That makes us an adulterer. But idols, guaranteed, always disappoint us. Guaranteed. Idols always end up disappointing us. Because here's the thing, whether we realize it or not, whether we understand it or not, everyone is born with a desire for God. 
Everyone is born with a desire for God and a desire for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are built. We are born. We are wired to worship. When we start worshiping something else, that's when things start to go haywire. If you haven't already done this or you need to renew it, because like I said months ago, I said we have to renew this every day. We need to let Jesus into our hearts. And you got to, that's an everyday kind of thing. That's not a one and done thing. I did that 40 years ago. Mm, how's it going today? How are those idols in your life? How is that, how are your priority list, priority list going? Let Jesus into our heart and worship him and him alone. I want to circle back just a little bit on that challenge. I want to challenge you today to seek God's face, to seek his heart, to ask him literally the words to make me uncomfortable. Show me where I'm putting idols ahead of you. Don't think for a second that you're not doing it. Show me where I'm putting these idols in front of you. Show me where I'm trusting in the world or in my stuff or in uh, in people or wherever instead of trusting in you. Like I said, if we could commit three felonies before dinner, before we even know what happened, I guarantee we are worshiping three idols before breakfast every day. And the only one who's going to reveal that to you is Christ, is God. So that's what I'm saying. Built, born to worship. Today, let Christ into your heart. Let him rule and reign in your heart and to point out where we are worshiping in the wrong places. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's stand.